Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Ollie. And I think you 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 are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day is the biggest fool in Manchester, and that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. It's the Bola Boys. It's me, Rahul, again hosting. And as usual, I'm joined by Vis. Hello, hello. And Kaiser. Hello, everybody. So straight into things. Um, we're hoping this pod will be all killer, no filler because of the international break. We're going to try to take advantage and do two review pods. First one coming out, obviously, when you're listening to it today. And the next one will be further on in the week, hopefully Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Definitely before the start of the next Premier League game week. Uh, we've tried to narrow it down to about 10 teams over two pods. So if you're looking forward to a team and we've not previewed it or reviewed it, I can only apologize. So we thought a good place to start would be the first big clash of the Premier League season. Um, according to the bookies, not a personal opinion, but um, <laughs> Liverpool and Chelsea Unbiased. are number two and number three bookies favourites for the Premier League title, even as it stands. Um, and we thought it would be a good place to start. Um, so I'll come to Kaiser, who's uh, again one of our two resident Liverpool fans, and get a reaction overall. How did the game feel to you coming away from the stadium? Well, not coming away from the stadium, but coming away from the game. Uh, immediate reaction. Yeah, I think before the game, uh, a bit anxious, I predicted a 1-1 a tight affair. Um, so before the game, I was happy um, to come out with a with a draw, I think. But of course, circumstances... Really? Yeah. With a draw yeah. against Chelsea remember. at home? Yeah, yeah, if you remember. They're a solid side. Yeah, I know. But I, I know you predicted a draw, but I, I didn't... I didn't get the fact that you were happy with the draw. Surely this is a type of fixture that, you know, you guys would want to go on and win if you want a challenge for the title, you know. I don't know. I just think there's a lot of cir- circumstances. I think early in the season, Fair. not to lose, I think against one of the best teams, I think favourites in my eyes as well. Okay. Yeah, I think given the circumstances, the red card and how it played out, definitely two points dropped, I think, as most Liverpool fans would feel. Despite us dominating possession throughout the game, I mean, even before the red card, uh, we did dominate possession. Uh, but Chelsea, I think, ob- uh, arguably had the better chances in, in both halves. And they're one of the best defences in the, the Premier League, Champions League winning team. Yes, we could have done more. But yeah, frustrating game overall. Yeah, I think before the game, I would have said a draw is not a bad result at all. But when you look at it contextually, the fact that they went down uh, to 10 men at half time. You definitely, I think, I definitely after the game, I felt like it was two points dropped, you know. And I think yeah. you can see that in the in the players as well. You can see them. I remember, I think Henderson was on, on the floor after the game. You can just see everyone was super disappointed, and you can see in the Chelsea players' reaction, they were so it happy. felt like a win to them. You yeah. went to the match. You went to the match, Rahul. So how how did the crowd around you feel actually? Oh, that, I mean, it's definitely the the way I felt. So obviously, you come out at halftime, right? Straight after the pen, everyone, the atmosphere is fantastic. You know, it's uh, the best time to score. If you're trailing and you want to equalize, it's just before yeah, halftime. Exactly. Uh, so you go into halftime, you go into the concourse and stuff. Everyone is buzzing, and I think I think they, Liverpool came out in the second half really well as well. First 15 minutes, you know, they yeah. really had a good go. But Chelsea are good. They are very good side. They are so composed. They are so uh, organized. 
And after 60 minutes, right? On if I'm being honest, after 60 minutes, I, I, you you got the feeling that this is you know Chelsea wanted a draw and they were gonna get a draw. Um, so let's you know let's talk about the in-game stuff, guys. Uh, what what did Liverpool try to do? What were they not able to do? Why weren't they able to get that winning goal? Yeah, I think from Liverpool's side, we are so used to uh, playing from the back initially. I think uh, we always have uh, passes to our centre-backs or even to Fabinho, Hendo in midfield. But Chelsea, from the start, uh, blocked all these balls. Um, they marked Fabinho and Hendo and they pushed high up uh, during goal kicks. So we were forced to have long balls to forwards, uh, which they enjoyed ultimately. And an interesting thing was Elliot picked the head of Keita, I felt. Uh, shows a lot of trust in Elliot and it changed the way we play on the right side, especially uh, where Salah and Elliot both love to cut in and they were... Uh, mainly started out wide, which allowed Trent to come inside. I don't know if you guys realised, but he was playing really more like Cancelo-esque and moving into the, the midfield and being more... I thought, I felt he was uh, a lot more involved uh, uh, in the game and actually pretty dangerous. So I don't know if that's something we're looking to uh, implement uh, yeah. moving forward. I think forward. It's, something, it's, it's something they definitely tried in pre-season. So that triangle with Salah, Elliot and mm. uh, Trent is definitely something they've tried in pre-season but then it comes into the question where fine you're trying all these new things but against Chelsea you've got two arguably senior more senior players in Keita and Thiago would it have been better to maybe start with them um, rather than Elliot for this fixture vis I don't know I don't know whether you is something you realize when you're watching the game yeah exactly that's that's the same question I had in my mind why is Elliot starting over Keita and over uh, Thiago, I mean, Keita had very good two games, uh, the last two games that he played. Why was he left out for this game against Chelsea? You know, arguably the biggest game so far. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I did expect Keita to play on the left and mm. Hendo on his normal right position. Because if you saw on the left during the game, I mean, Robbo, Mane and Hendo really struggled to make anything constructive uh, throughout the game. We just wasted all our left side attacks. Um, and so, yeah... I'm not sure how effective this is uh, moving forward. Um, but one thing to note, even though Thiago, Keita, we could have brought them on and we did. Uh, for example, Thiago, the two other for uh, changes were enforced. Uh, Firmino's injury and also Robbo was just dead after, um, I'm not sure what time he went off, but Simikas came on. Uh, but we didn't really have a difference maker, which is leaving me a bit worried. Yes, it is Chelsea at the end of the day. Um, and... We have to find a way against these low-block teams, which I think we'll have hopefully no issues uh, moving forward. But it does beg the question, should we have signed another uh, forward to mix things up? Because Minamino is not being trusted in that front three and Mane's form is a huge issue that has been going on for too long. Yeah, I definitely echo everything you said. That's why I, I think Robertson and Mane are already poor. That left side, we offered almost nothing. Mane is coming into about 18 months now, almost, well, I would say even maybe two seasons where he's just not been at that top, top level. Um, and as you said, Kaiser, we could have definitely done, Liverpool could have definitely done with a fifth attacker. So Firmino goes off injured relatively early in the first half. Jota comes on and then you don't have an option off the bench. Yeah, uh, It's quite exactly. obvious Klopp doesn't trust, trust Origi and Minamino just hasn't shown enough to be considered as a starter, you know, someone to come off the bench, let alone a starter. Yeah. One more thing. Interestingly, we have been top for all the attacking stats. Yeah? Shots in the box, shots on target, XG, and yet we're only fifth highest for goals. Uh, so it does show we're definitely not as clinical as we should be. 
Yeah, and I think that was the difference, right? In our 1920 season and things, individuals were just pulling stuff out of the bag yeah. every time, yeah. you know. So stats is one exactly. thing, but players still have to convert the chances. But let's talk mm-hmm. about the positives. Um I thought defensively like a big test and a big sort of uh moment people were looking forward to is how the Liverpool center backs were going to cope with Lukaku. Um I thought overall they did pretty well. Definitely they got turned a couple of times. I remember Matip once in the first half uh, got absolutely spun by Lukaku. He plays in mount and they probably should have scored. But overall I would say uh, the Liverpool center backs, you know, did pretty well against Lukaku. Vis is that something you thought from watching the game as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was excited to see this as well. Uh, the battle between Van Dijk and Lukaku, but I don't think it even reached that because it was clear that Lukaku was targeting Matip, right? And I yeah. think they handled yeah. it very, very well. I mean, it's still a small sample size because considering the second half Chelsea down to 10 men, they didn't attack as much, so there was only yeah, so much right. Lukaku could do. But you see, this is the, the, the difference uh, between a proper centre-back and then when you have Pablo Mari. No, I, sorry, I just had to... <laughs> didn't mean oh to shit, shit Relax, on Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> We have Arsenal. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, no, but it's a good contrast. They, it's a yeah, good look contrast. at the way that they handle Lukaku, bro. They, I think they they did a very very good job. Yeah, it was good. And I mean, these Matip and Van Dijk are very good centre backs. And yet Lukaku was getting chances away. He was spinning them. He was still getting the ball into feet, holding them off, and oh, bringing yeah. in Mount into Havertz. And I think that you know Chelsea are going to get a lot more joy having him there. Um, not only in terms of the goals he's going to score, but definitely the opportunities he's going to bring for the other teams, uh, for the other players in the team, rather. Um, yeah, I was pretty disappointed. I think the second half, Liverpool had to result to just long shots. Those were the majority of their sort of chances. Um, no clear-cut chances. And I think now we got to really bring into focus the Chelsea team and what they did well. Prior to the red card, I think Chelsea still were the better team. I think XG was sort of equal prior to the red card. But um, just, just from the eye test, I think Chelsea are the more dangerous team. Kai Havertz comes out with the corner. If you meant it, that is a beautiful finish. Honestly, <laughs> near post, oh flicks on, loops over the keeper. I don't know if you meant it, but yeah, I don't think he good. meant to score. Surely but not a training ground. Yeah, he I mean, didn't the mean goal to score, itself, but, but he yeah. just wanted to put it in a danger area and he got lucky. The run, the run the was the, beautiful. Yeah, possibly, yeah. but I think right. If you just, I think I can't remember which minute before the goal, but he tries that exact same thing in a corner same they one. tried before, but that time mm. Robertson blocks it off. So okay. it's definitely something they practice on the on the training ground. Yeah. And, you know, credit to them. But you just look at Chelsea's season overall so far. Uh, two wins to nil before this. Very impressive. They didn't even get out of second gear, and then they come to Anfield, take the lead. You know, uh, get a penalty and a red card, which I mean, rightly by the by the letter of the law, that's what it should have happened. You know, I don't think you feel hard done by that. But then after that, I think that's where you see where they properly excelled. Um, this after the red card, you can see them change from the three five two to three five one, and you could just see. I think the moment Thomas Tuchel said, "Boys, we're we're taking this draw, we're taking Closing it home," it was decided. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, like we spoke about previously, right? In terms of defending like this, like being so compact, I think Chelsea are the best. In, not only in the league, I think maybe in the world as well. So when they decide to defend, they really defend. So to maybe look at Liverpool and say they could have done better, but then let's take a step back and give credit to Chelsea. I think they were phenomenal. I mean, coming away to Anfield, let alone get a draw with 11 men, you're getting a draw with 10 men. I think that is something that is really, really worth um, like, like giving credit to. So well done to them. Special mention to, I think the centre-backs were excellent, but also the, the midfielders, especially with Kante coming off. 
uh, Kovacic, Jorginho and Mount really knew how to uh, defend as a block and also every time they managed to get possession from us, knew how to build it up and then try to make something uh, dangerous out of it. So just Yeah, very, especially very like organized. Jorginho and Kovacic, every time they got the ball, right, they were so smart in picking their passes. Yeah. You know, they weren't just giving the ball back, you know, that was something very, very, very good lah, actually. <laughs> just yeah, a good team. I man. think... Uh, yeah, they're very good. They are. They're very. Good. I, I think Kovacic is very underrated, actually, um, and it only shows how good the other three are that he isn't starting. You know, um, so coming back to that organization, I think Pep mentioned this before their their, their Champions League final, so it's not something new. They've got a core five, um, which is their three centre backs, and then they got the two sixes in front of them, and they keep it so compact and so tight, you can never find space in between them. You're never stretching. So they had Christensen in the middle. Uh, they had Aspilicueta on the right and Rudiger on the left. And we just couldn't find that ball in between the central centre-back and the two wide centre-backs. The one time we did it, I don't know if you guys remember, is Henderson's chance. Yeah. Where Henderson comes on the left side and honestly, he should have scored. And I think if you want to score against the Chelsea side, that's what you have to do. You have yeah, to you need goals them. like this. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. You yeah, need to stretch space, them. You yeah. need to get them running towards goal. But it's so difficult. They're so organized and they play so well. Um, and I think you see that again after after the red card. They only considered four fouls. So it's not only that they're organized, but they're very composed. Uh, one thought mm. I was having though is I think the red card came... I mean, there's no perfect time to have a red card. But if you had to choose a time to have a red card, it'll definitely be just before halftime. And that's when... Uh, you know, Tom yeah, Tuchel can... managed to get in the team yeah. and just set them because I think heads heads got yeah. heads went for a while. Yeah. You know, Rudiger picked up that yellow card. They were you know, and yeah, I can't. Yeah, they're losing it. For if, a <laughs> I think if that red card, yeah, if that red card happened straight after half time, uh, different story. It might have been a different, different story. Be, yeah, yeah, that's I th- true. I that's think so. Point. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, fifteen minutes uh, but, to yeah re-strategize and everything. To re-strategize, and I think yeah. you know he all credit to him, all credit to him, and I will be shocked if these are not you know number one or number two at the end of the season. Yeah, Tuchel is annoyingly likable as well. The more I watch his interviews, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, he's he's, he's very pers- yeah, he's very personable and things. But yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see when things. I mean, it's all been positive for him since coming in, right? Yeah, you most managers are likable when things are going their way. So let's see, let's see when uh, mm. things. But I mean, yeah, cre- yeah Ch- Chelsea will definitely be up there. So <laughs> we go from Chelsea and Liverpool, and I think uh, that's enough for that game. On the other side of the uh, the break, we'll talk about uh, Arsenal and their very differing fortunes. So let's talk about Arsenal, uh, the complete opposite uh, end of the spectrum. Uh, their first three fixtures, Brentford, Chelsea and City, all three games, losses, uh, two nils, two nils and the last one, five nil. And uh, they've not scored a goal yet. Uh, this season and this is the first time in the club's entire history that they've lost their first three games without scoring a goal so Ateta's at it again breaking records and <coughs> I've been quite positive la, with Arsenal I mean let's be fair right guys even the previous yeah. pods I was yeah. a bit more that's positive. why I'm interested to hear your view on this pod yeah. now to be fair or even before <laughs> before that, that the CD game started I was like telling a few I watched it with a bunch of friends and I was telling them look I think Ateta is going to give them a, a tough tough go here it's not going to be so easy but before you know it there there goes the, <laughs> the, the floodgates open la, you know 25 shots for City and uh, one to Arsenal that was the that was the game. 
Because right. even before the red card, right? I mean, it was 2-0 before. Yeah, right? before, the before, before the red card. They were so already dominating. Exactly. The, the two goals they conceded, right? It was just basic defending that they couldn't get right. It was individual mistakes. It, I think the first goal went through like two, three people. The ball, it was just bouncing oh, yeah, everywhere and it just that. went in. It was so, so poor. And then, you think maybe with the five-man defence that they played against City because they learned their lesson against Chelsea. Chelsea played so wide, right? So James was, you know, giving them... Uh, something to work with and they learned from their lesson and I thought they learned from their lesson at least and they started playing five at the back but look at the five that started Kolasinac was in there he was a loney last season I mean he was uh, he was I think what he's trying to tear up his contract the... right he wants to leave yeah, the club exactly. and he's starting <laughs> what he, I, he, I didn't bro, know he was still Arsenal yeah. to be Last season, he so was deemed fun. as a surplus somebody that they didn't need and what he, what is he doing starting against City you know and Chambers another one they signed him seven years ago and he's for me, he's not even average. He's below average. And then you have Cedric and Holding. Both of them, I think, they're good backups lah, more than anything. And then there was Tierney, yeah. who's a one-man army. Tierney is the only positive thing in that in that whole defence there, you know. Again. Maybe it would have been different if White, Gabriel and Mari started. Maybe the score wouldn't have been the same. Wouldn't have been 5-0. But, but then again, the basic positioning was out the window. Basic defending. Just individual mistakes all over the place. And... There was no leadership, nothing. I'm going on a, like a negative run here because, <laughs> because it was so disappointing. I just wanted someone to stop City. Like I was so happy <laughs> when Spurs won, you know. And I thought maybe they could pull something off. Because remember, Rahul, we talked about it. There's a blueprint on how we can maybe beat a team like City. Because Tottenham have done it yeah. already. Remember you mentioned and this? And Arteta has thought, done it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like he's not yeah. done it before. And the icing on the cake for me was Zaka's red card, lah, you know. Yeah. It, and it's so not the first like, time, yeah, no. it's not the first time as well, you know. To be fair, I think you see the stat is that uh, Ateta's men have been dismissed ten times in the Premier League ever since he took over, and nine of them were straight raids. And this is four more red cards than any other top-flight Premier League club. So what's going on? What's what's wrong with yeah. the the discipline issues, Rahul? Do you want to highlight anything? No, no, I think you're exactly right. And this is not just this season. Last season as well, the red card record. I mean, Jaka got sent off last season as well. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. And then he threw the jersey and, uh, and then... So I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, obviously you're frustrated. That's understandable, right? And I, uh, yeah, it's just... It's getting to the point where it's difficult to find positives. Um, because there are just so many... So many issues there. You know, even beyond the football pitch. But let's talk about the football pitch. So I think... Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day. And again, I can't remember who is the person who said it. So it's not something I came up with. But this person was referring to something called the Skirtle analogy. So people remember Skirtle. Martin Skirtle was a centre-back who played for Liverpool a few years ago. And Kaiser, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but we all thought he was quite good. You know, he was a, he was part of the um, title challenge in 13 and 14 under Brendan yes. Rodgers. He loved so scoring against Arsenal pretty, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, he got some good goals. We thought he was very good. I mean, we thought he was a decent centre-back. Yeah. But the problem is, I, I don't think he was, you know. And when yeah. we, when you know, we had a proper look at him, you realize that Martin Skirtle was very average or below average. But we had become so used to mediocrity and lack mm. of quality over the past decade, over the past two decades, that when even someone like Martin Skirtle was playing first, we were like, oh, you know, this is a good guy. And I think this is what's happening to Arsenal, what's happened to Arsenal. You just see the squad packed with average players, you know, expecting them to do above average slash elite tactics and this is the problem you have so Kaiser when you look at that squad I'm sure you could name three four players who you know probably Arsenal fans would say they're oh they're decent but they're just not up to scratch if we're being if we're being real about it 
Like who from that Arsenal team uh, would walk into a Liverpool's team? Can you pick none, someone? Uh, none. At no, this but, point, but I, I, I think I'd be, okay. Let's not even look at Liverpool, but like you know, from the Arsenal. Okay, let's let's just pick West Ham, right? Like let's pick West Ham. Yeah. Obviously, there yeah. will be some Arsenal players that that move, you know, that could play for for West Ham starting eleven. But you probably should, you know, if you if Arsenal are where they want to be, it should be that the first eleven is probably making up ten of the West Ham spots. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's a mix of things, right? I think it's gone on for a while now that it's part of the culture there and also the new signings. Um, there's just no high standards being set there, either by the manager or the players. So like you said, the mediocrity is just taken as normality now uh, in there. And I think it's a huge issue. And Arteta, especially, I have to highlight Arteta. I mean, he encourages this. I think like the Xhaka example is perfect. Right? I mean, there's so many falling out uh, situations that Xhaka has had with the fans, with the club, with Arsenal. But Arteta keeps on backing him, makes him captain. I, I feel this is all part of the decision-making that leads to this um, basically stage of mediocrity that they're having. And and I think now we can, you know, it's getting to the point where you really have to question Arteta's man management. Because yeah. it's not just one or two examples. There's a few there. So Saliba there, who's obviously a very talented young player, in a position where they don't really have, you know, amazing quality, <laughs> yeah. been frozen out by Ateta. For what reason? I don't know. That's all speculation. No actual facts to this. Yeah. Gwenduzi, there was a massive falling out there. Okay, a lot of people are saying, fine, maybe it was, you know, Gwenduzi is a bit of a dickhead, fine. Mm. Then now with Maitland-Niles, whether yeah. wrong or rightly, he went on Instagram, you know, <laughs> begging for me. his freedom. <laughs> but you, you look at all this and you just think, right? Like how, oh, it's just, some things, you know, I think that, you know, a massive change needs to happen. And I don't know, it's either the manager or the players. And I think probably what is more practical is probably, the you know, changing the manager because something has to change. One the person. vibe in the club has to change. Yeah. Um, so, Vis, let's, let, let's talk about, uh, let's, okay, let's spin a bit of positivity on this. You look at the first three fixtures, that yeah. Brentford, Chelsea, City. City. Okay, let's yeah. say from my point of view, right, Chelsea and City are probably the the. the There'll two be strongest two teams the in the league, level, I think. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. So it'll be two or four of the toughest fixtures you play for any team, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's say they're three points worse off. They lost to Brentford, that's all. So let's yeah. look forward now. What are the fixtures coming up? What do you think they should be getting minimum? So they play Norwich at home after this. And then they have Burnley away. And then it's Spurs. So just let's look at the next three. If they don't get a minimum of six points, in my opinion, I think Ateta is going to get the sack. I think he's facing like real... This is really going to happen already. Because last season, they, I think Arsenal went about seven games uh, on a run without winning uh, uh, any games. And he sort of started pulling up the results after that seven games and they went on some mad run. But but I don't think... You know, how many lives does a manager get nowadays? You know? Yeah. So, I think I think that's a possibility as well. I completely yeah. agree with you. I yeah. think before the season started, I saw this run of games. They, they're not going to look back and say, oh, in the first six, we had Spurs, Chelsea, City, uh, very yeah. tough games. Yeah. If, you're, if you're in the relegation zone, they won't look at the kind of games yeah. you've had. They, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. But yeah, la, you know, to look at it from a positive light, I guess that's fair for Arsenal. But I just can't understand from a player's perspective, you've just lost three games in a row without scoring one goal. And then now you're under so much pressure to like sort of win the next three. How? It's, it's not easy. It's really not that's, easy. That's, no matter how that's easy up the fiction. <coughs> that's up to the management. That's up to the senior players to literally come back from this international yeah. break and sort of 
set the mentality that okay it's fine it's done forget about the fixtures yeah. that's happened we restart yeah. now we got Norwich we got Burnley and then we got North London Derby and we're taking 7 yeah. points minimum and mm. you know that, that that if he can do that then fair play to him but he's got I mean it's definitely a big task big definitely if. a big task it's oh. really scary for Arsenal really because okay we talk about pull right players pull huh? they can't pull any quality players because they're not in the Champions League also maybe for some reason top players don't want to come because Arteta's not a good coach from what we've seen so far lah okay And then let's say if Arteta were to get the sack, who are they going to pull in as a manager? Who, which manager is going to come in in the middle of all this shit and try to reconstruct everything like a top top manager? Who, how many out there are going to actually take on something like this? Especially him spending so much of the budget, you would think yeah, already, and exactly. the manager coming in might not have so much extra more to spend in January or yeah. somewhere. Next three games for Arsenal, very big, very very big. Fixtures. Very big, agreed. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. Like you guys said, North London Derby, I think will be the proper acid test. I think they'll get the six points against Norwich and Burnley. Um, but uh, speaking of North London Derby, we'll stop here on Arsenal and we'll continue on the other side of North London. Spurs have had very contrasting uh, fortunes compared to their neighbours <laughs> on the other side of North London. It's uh, fair to say. Uh, Kaiser nine points. They sit top of the table at the minute. Um, yes. Fair play to Nuno and the Spurs boys. Comparing to how people predicted they would have started, I think they've done quite well. Exactly. New manager, a uh, few new players. I mean, it's a very impressive start. Uh, looking at the results, three one zeros, so three clean sheets. Um, looking at the game in particular against Watford, uh, I think you all saw how lucky that free kick goal was uh, from Son. I think it was terrible. Uh, goalkeeping, but I think overall they deserve uh, the win with the amount of chances they created. A very very functional under Nuno, very organized four three three. They have a narrow front three who stay very high up the pitch, hardworking midfield, and now Skip is involved as well, uh, which he wasn't uh, last year because he was on loan. Uh, but it does need more creativity. I don't think these one nils are sustainable. If you look at the stats, yes, they've kept three clean sheets, but their defensive stats are nowhere near the best in the league. The third worst for shots conceded, fourth worst for shots in box conceded, and so oh. I think things still have to have to change. I didn't realize that, you know. I didn't realize that yeah. that their stats were so bad defensively. Yeah. I thought they were solid in both actual conceded and yeah. And I th- I think what well. what has happened is that um, the defenders have made great blocks. I think <laughs> basically yeah. last and also the from Dyer. <laughs> For me, yeah. the city fixture, I think that's expected. That city were going to get the better shots and everything, in that sense. But the Wolves fixture also, Wolves dominated that game, and then Spurs got a got a you know a penalty and won that game. And and Wolves are what I think third in the league for number of shots, total shots, third or fourth yeah. in the league. So Wolves are pretty yeah, good as well. So biggest maybe yeah. So if you look at three fixtures, maybe it can be a bit skewed lah. I mean the stats we look at it that way, but no. I just wanted to highlight Tanganga and Hoiberg. I think. Um, They've been getting great attacking positions, but they're just not up to it in terms of the attacking uh, stats. So I'm wondering if they'll make some changes with uh, either players or tactics around uh, there, um, especially with their new uh, signings. They signed Mr. Royal from Barcelona, who is expected to be a lot better attacking-wise, and Doherty, who's had a very awkward time in Spurs. Now Nuno is back. I'm so well, surprised. I'm so surprised Nuno's not because he was his. He's uh, cho- chosen one at Wolves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so amazing weird, right? season as well that season. He must, I thought yes, he must have. Return of Doherty lah. <laughs> no. 
I think he really only fits in a five. Huh? I think he must be really shit. Because he's a playing four. Back <laughs> formation. Yeah. Really, really shit. You always see players like that. The other one I think of is Danny Drinkwater when they get that big move, right? And then they get a big salary pay, uh, salary packet and they're like, <laughs> I've really, uh, I've done my I've job. really <laughs> pulled the wool over you guys here and uh, yeah, I'm going to sit here and uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think we can be expecting more of the same. I mean, Nuno in the latest interview, he said clean sheets are the beginning of everything. So wow. it's... His mindset is translating into uh, Tottenham's play. I think of how they're gonna set up. Um, I think uh, try and take the lead, and um, they won't be smashing uh, teams and more a controlled game. That Chelsea, that Chelsea game coming up will be very interesting. I think it'll be very interesting. Makaza, you uh, you mentioned Emerson Royal, so let's talk about their transfers because I think quietly Spurs have actually done quite well. We were all thinking, you know, we we're all waiting for Kane to go, and obviously he didn't, and they've managed to bring <laughs> in quite a few players now. Uh, yeah, all in actually. the sort of 20 to 24 age range. But I think on the other side, they've managed to get rid of a lot of the dead wood, you know, which is not something easy. And again, Daniel Levy is just plugging away. Um, he's managed to get rid of about 11 first team players, bringing down the average squad age significantly. They've gone from the fifth oldest squad in the league to the fifth youngest now. Um, wow. But any comments or any any anything about who they brought in and where, you know, have they addressed all the issues that they might have? Yeah, on your point, that's a massive transformation when you change, you shift the age um, range of your group by that much. I mean, the Deadwood, Lamella, Alderweireld, Rose, Sissoko. I mean, this is a... Johan. combined more than 900 appearances <laughs> for Spurs. When I saw that, I was like, that's mad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge change. And then they brought in Romero. I think you said... They could have a successful window. I think it's still yet to be seen. I mean, Romero hasn't uh, played yet, but Spurs fans are saying he'll likely start uh, next to Dyer, um, so ahead of Sanchez. Uh, they brought him in for 42.5 million, which is the second highest fee uh, brought in for Spurs. So for definitely Spurs. expected to expected to start. Um, so yeah, very interesting uh, transfer activity, especially because they brought in the new managing director of football, Paratici who was essential in uh, appointing Nuno and then also all these transfers uh, activity that has been happening. So it's a very decisive uh, start, if anything, for me. Yeah, so I think there was a clear plan for this summer with a new manager. I think they wanted to revamp the squad as well. But I think the thing that jumps out at me is they've retained Kane, which is great. So they were Kane and Son, which are undoubtedly two of one of, you know, two of maybe the best five, six, seven best players, attacking players in the Premier League. But my question is the drop-off after that, and they've not addressed that. So they were linked to Lautaro Martinez, they were linked to Adama Traore, but they've not brought in a third, you know, attacker of quality. Vis, Do you see this being a problem? Because I can see Kane being out for, I don't know, missing five to ten games at some point during the season. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I see it as a problem. And I think that's when the squad will properly get tested. You know, any squad is good if, you know, your first 11 can play all 38 games. But this is when I think Spurs will sort of, you know, suffer. And it's a very good point that you you, you brought up. And overall, I think it's uh, we can't be too harsh because at the end of the day, they've got nine points out of nine. So far, they've started three games already, hit the ground running. And... This is how a season starts. I mean, this is how when uh, Tuchel came in, you know, these were the score lines that he was saying, one nails, you know, two ones, uh, two zero, one one, uh, one one zeros. Sorry, a lot of one zeros, and and I think he's he's on the good uh, he's on a good uh, start, lah. I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I think I think 
I mean, similar to what he did at Wolves, I think he wants them to be compact. He wants them to be yeah. hard to beat and then go from there. But my worry is, you know, with Bergwijn and Mora being the alternatives, yeah, there's a huge drop-off in quality. And I think you see this yeah. throughout squads. Even when you talk about Liverpool, there's always a drop-off from the first 11 to what well, you'd, you'd name squad players. So it'll be interesting to mm-hmm. see. It'll be interesting to see. I think if they could probably have a good go at the Europa Conference not using their first team players because they mm. should be one of the best teams in the in the competition. So that'll be, I don't know, possibly. I don't know. It'll be interesting to ask Spurs fans how they feel about the Europa Conference. I think if, if one of them were to get injured, either Kane or Son, I think it's still manageable. But if Kane and Son get injured, I think that's, that's where they start facing serious problems, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Son's, I mean, Son's been quite good with injuries, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, that's, that's a good summary of uh, Spurs' start to the season so far. I think they've done well, but still quite a few question marks on whether they can sustain this uh, across the 38 games. Uh, we'll go and talk about West Ham next. 4-2 win away at Newcastle. They've been battered Leicester and then a 2-2 draw at Crystal Palace. West Ham have started pretty well I think it's safe to say uh, Vis let's have a chat about them and let's talk about the main man Antonio's. yeah man definitely Antonio <laughs> what a guy what a guy I think he's going to win uh, Premier League Player of the Month easily I think it's a bit harsh if they don't hand it over to him so so far they've scored 10 goals in their last 3 games out of which uh, Antonio was involved in 7 so he's been really crucial I would say so it's 4 goals and 3 assists in 3 games so far for Antonio and, and he's in he's in Hot form. Remember the the uh, Premier League podcast that we had? How how I was hyping up Antonio. I was like, bro, he's last on top season. for everything. No, no, earlier this season. Oh, I know. Yeah, based season, on the stats yeah. last season. If Antonio is fit, he's a if Antonio is fit, he's a monster. And this is what we're seeing, bro. He's he really is a monster. So overall, the past two seasons, right? Uh, Antonio finished with ten goals each. Uh, in those seasons and uh, uh, prior to the season starting the season he was he said he was a bit disappointed uh, with the outcome last season he was aiming for 15 goals that's what he said and if we o- look at his overall xg for last season it was 13.6 so he clearly underperformed his xg so it's fair to say why he was upset lah but this season uh, he's got four goals from an from a total xg of 2.1 so he's overscoring his XG. I mean, this is what you want to see from strikers, right? Like proper finishers. Some of his goals, really, really good striker goals, man. He's so nice to watch, though. Yeah, actually. very yeah, nice. I just enjoy watching him. Like the smile on his he's face. So powerful. And, yeah, <laughs> he's like a nice guy, you know. Like you're so happy for yeah, him, actually. Yeah. Especially yeah. that game because he um, broke the record, right? Paulo Di Canio's yeah. uh, Premier League goal-scoring record. record. Yeah, and, he's uh, now and West you can just see all the celebrations and how happy he was. And I thought maybe the next game he would drop off after he broke the record yeah and then bang he goes again he goes again that second goal uh, uh, yeah the, the goal to yeah. put them in front is so good right so like, good he yeah. just turned finish. and he got it like half volley-ish you know so good that finish confidence no nonsense you know, yeah, he doesn't yeah, even yeah, look for the corners he just twists the fuck the ball <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah to think that he played like right wing back and right wing all those different positions yeah. in the, the past few years and now he's scored how many I don't know in the past two seasons, I think forty-nine, right? Uh, yeah. In the past few seasons, to be. He's on. Fi- I think he's on. Well, he's on fifty yeah. now. Fifty now, yeah, 50 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so 50 now. what a transformation it's been. Exactly. So I think it's all the more impressive the fact that he's only started playing as a nine. What in the last 18, uh, 24 months? Yep. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Moisey, the Moisey effect, or 
Antonio. Well, it looks like it, right? I think he's the one yeah. who started playing him as a nine. So fair yeah. play to him. Um, but let's, I mean, let, let's not take away too much about the team performance. <laughs> I think all the other attackers have been pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the game against Crystal Palace, yes, it was 2-2. But I think that, that was a clear game of two halves. Uh, first half, West Ham were very dominant. And the combination play from Antonio, Benrama and Fornals is just very, very good. Very fluid, the three of them. Not only just in the last game. The previous two games as well, they've been so, so fluid, the three of them. So I know Benrama's been getting most of the highlights because he's been getting all the goals and the assists and all. But actually, Fornals is so integral to their attack. You know, he's like so involved. I mean, his numbers have been pretty good as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's been chipping in as well. Exactly. When, exactly. I looked, when I looked at his stats, he's top 10 for like a lot of the stats related to like key passes, big chances created, mm-hmm. expected assists. So he's really up there. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's having a good season so far. And yeah, the three of them wants to watch, definitely. And uh, yeah, so that was the first half. But the second half, uh, Crystal Palace sort of grew into the game. And yeah. Yeah. to be fair, they could have, you know, snatched the three points at the end. You know, they, they got the better chances definitely in the second half. So it was a it was a fair result in the end, two two. But standout player for me for Crystal Palace, I just have to mention is this guy Gallagher, Connor Gallagher. What Connor a game Gallagher. he had! Yeah, yeah, very very good game. He scored a brace, and uh, yeah, he sort of you know scored both equalizers to get uh, he sort of carried Crystal Palace essentially. Good finishes as well. Yeah, yeah very good. Goal. So tidy, man. Yeah. So tidy. Very very good goals. He's a Chelsea youth player also. He's on loan uh, at Crystal Palace and uh, very exciting talent. So let's see how that turns out. But yeah, that game itself, I think the key players didn't turn up la, like the Sucheks. I think he, he didn't have a great game. Ben Rama, he didn't have a bad game. He had an okay game. La. Nothing to shout about. So fair result, 2-2. And credit to Crystal Palace for defending well as well. So yeah. So I think I'll just bring it back a bit, Vis, to uh, we were talking about the attacking players, right? So Ben Rama, Fornals and Antonio. Yeah. A big testament to how well they've started the season is that no one's even mentioned Lingard. Exactly. And that's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, the impact the he had last season. The second half of his season yeah. last season was immense, right? Yeah. And we've not even mentioned him once. Yeah. Um, so again, credit to the Moyes of sort of having a look at the squad and, you know, uh, you know, trying to, to to get on without, you know, bringing in Lingard, which has been really good for them. Yeah. But very, let's talk good. about the other side. So, I mean, like you said, was it 10 goals in three games? That's yeah. great. But, we, you know, we can't ignore the fact that they played Newcastle, they played Palace. Yeah. Uh, and still considered, what, two in each of those games. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely, you know, there's definitely an issue that needs addressing or I, I don't know, how do you guys see it? I think, yeah, and they're trying to address that um, with the signing of Zuma as well. Uh, I think they realise their frailties at the back. I think that will help uh, short defence a lot. Um, likely play next to Ogbonna, I would mm-hmm. think. So... Mm-hmm. Goodbye to Dawson. Yeah, but if you look Thank at their God. stats, right? Uh, what a def- fraud. Defensively, their stats have been okay. Quite impressive, actually. They're like the fifth for uh, expected goals conceded. Third best for non-penalty expected goals conceded. So, I feel they've been unlucky to sort of concede five goals in over the over those three games. You know, it's down to individual it's not errors. Luck. You, know, you know what the reason is? <laughs> what? Craig Dawson. That's the reason. Dawson. <laughs> Fucking Dawson. Dawson. <laughs> the, the bane of my life. <laughs> so, so obviously they brought in Zuma for 30 million I think yeah, yeah. like you said Kaiser he's going to be oh sorry I can't remember was it Vis who said that he's going to be coming in I think he'll be looking to partner Ogbonna and I yeah. think they'll be looking to sort of even phase out Ogbonna and I think they'll be looking at you know a starting centre-back partnership of Diop and Zuma 
Yeah, uh, which are you know I think that that'll be quite exciting if you're a, you're a West Ham fan. So let's look at the other signings they've made. Um, this so they've more got in the attacking uh, third. Yeah, yeah. So a good thing you mentioned Lingard earlier. So they've signed this guy named Vlasic uh, for thirty million. He's their sort of new playmaker. So Vlasic did play in the PL. He when he was nineteen, he played for Everton. So then he sort of went back to the Russian league. So in twenty twenty, he was the Russian Premier League Player of the Year, and uh, he he can basically play among that front three lah. In left wing, he can play CAM and right wing, but he's mainly a central attacking midfielder. So with the Europa League coming up. I think this is something very important for the team. They need the squad depth, and uh, overall they've had a decent window. So we're talking about Vlasic. We they've got Zuma and also got Alex Kral, who's a loney as well. So he's the third CDM in the pecking order after Suchek and Declan Rice. So they've they've overall I think they've had a very good transfer window, and the fans are quite happy as well. But the only thing that fans really wanted was another striker because yeah. You know Antonio here. He's he's unplayable at times. He's so good in form, but we all know how injury prone Antonio is. So if he gets injured, I think the score lines wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, honestly speaking, they're in trouble. yeah. Because the only I guess um, second options are Yamolenko maybe up front and Vlasic. Yeah, Vlasic can play. Yeah, as well. Up front for as now, well. Still, for now, still can big he play? I think he can yeah. play. For now, can maybe play like as well. a false nine thing. But it'll definitely whoever they uh, bring in to replace Antonio is injured. They'll ch- it change the way they they function and play. So yeah, yeah, big yeah. question mark definitely. there. Yeah. Big question. And mark. I think it's good you br- brought up the Europa League because I think in past seasons you can see how much that can impact teams uh, uh, like Leicester, West Ham, especially with the lack of resources. Thursday and to is brutal. The yeah, it's brutal. Not yeah, nice. it's just, yeah. It just <laughs> no one does that. No one does well on a Sunday game after after Thursday game. So it's interesting as well. I I need to look this up. I haven't looked it up for this pod. But what their scouting department does, because a lot of their incomings have been from Eastern Europe, right? So Suchek, Sufal, and now they've got two players from the mm. Russian league again. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to see. Do they think there's some players there that they can sort of? Uh, exploit where no one else is looking. Um, yeah, they say Moyes is very, very diligent and meticulous in his uh, scouting as well. So I'm not sure how, a lot of the influence might be from from him as well. From him himself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that I think both the questions now we've said for West Ham and Spurs are very similar in the sense that there is a big drop off in their talismans or their you know their main sort of attackers. And the second question being, how is their squad going to hold up the length of the season? So I'm going to ask you guys, who is finishing above who? Where you know, is, do you think West Ham manages to finish above Spurs again, or do you think sort of with Nuno they've got a better chance of uh, solidifying a top six finish? I think it's a tough one because in terms of quality per position, I think the first eleven for Spurs edge it for me against the first eleven of West Ham, but. Overall squad, remember we were talking about Spurs. If Son and Kane get injured, they've not got a proper squad at all. So it's very tight. But yep. overall, I think Spurs would finish above West Ham, in my opinion. I think they would really be impacted by Europe, lah. West Ham. I don't think yeah. they'll be able I to. Agree. I agree as well, actually. I think Spurs will um, finish above West Ham for similar reasons in each position. I think there's just higher quality. Yeah. Um, and as well, I think Spurs will not take the their conference league as serious as West Ham take their Europe. Yes. League. Yeah. Um, so Good I think point. they're willing to play a lot more of their their second team, and I think that will benefit Spurs in the long run because it is a marathon of the season. Lovely. So two for two, Spurs to finish above West Ham. 
uh, I think that's a good place to end it there. Um, like I said, we had to cover a lot of things, so hopefully we covered, you know, all the teams sufficiently. We'll be planning to do something very similar again towards the end of the week. So hopefully, if you guys enjoyed this one, you can tune in again. Like I said, somewhere around Thursday, Friday. But otherwise, I think that's been that's been everything from us. It's been the Bola Boys. Thanks. Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you 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 are an ostrich. Next Tuesday. April Fool's Day is the biggest fool in Manchester, and that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football.